Imagine if it was like a magneto was in here or something. It would definitely do something, wouldn't it? Can you go on airplanes? Yeah. I mean, not without them crashing, but yeah. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I'm joined by a two-time Canadian Comedy Award-nominated stand-up comedian who has been featured at the Just for Laughs Northwest Festival, the Halifax Comedy Festival, and the Seattle International Comedy Competition, just to name a few of her credits. Last year, she released her debut comedy album, Outside Voice, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, title and wherever else you listen to music online she's regularly featured on cbc's the debaters and laugh out loud she's also been in the writer's room for cbc's kim's convenience which you can also watch on netflix right now she will make sure that you never look at anteaters the same way again she is the fabulous julie kim julie how are you? Hi, Mo. I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me here. My pleasure. We're here. We're here. I emailed you in January. It's a long time coming. <laughs> That's my fault. <laughs> no, it's not. I've been out of town a lot. You're so busy. Yeah. But we're here now. Uh-huh. I'm so glad. <laughs> I Right off the bat, I want to ask you a really dumb question. Awesome. And I'll I give pr- you a dumb answer. <laughs> I promise there's a point to it. Though. All right. How often do you get compared to Ali Wong? Mm-hmm. Are you going to tell me the point of it now or after? Uh, I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. I do not compa- compare to Ali Wong very often. In fact, really? what happens more often is that people ask me if I get compared to Ali Wong. <laughs> that is a more frequent occurrence. Uh, and I, I, I think I know the reason behind why people ask that question. Sure. It's because she is Asian. And also, I have done jokes about being uh, pregnant. I've mm-hmm. done jokes being pregnant and uh, about having a baby. And she has done the same. And, uh, you know, hers... Uh, uh, is, of course, much more well-known. So people like to make that uh, uh, assumption that people have made the comparison, but not really. Uh, okay. I think what I get more often, and in the form of online comments, is a comparison to Amy Schumer. Now, I have oh, to... Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, only because that is like the go-to sort of backhanded comment that a lot of angry, kind of sexist uh, online commenters like to make. So it's it's, not made in a nice way. It's not a compliment. No, it's always like, ugh, another Amy Schumer, which I take huge offense to because why would you not want to be compared to one of the most successful comedians of any gender right now? There's a horrible thing that happens to female comics online. You really put yourself out there Mm -hmm. and the worst of society is out there not having a life, but going and spreading their hate right, online. Yeah. You know what happened one time? I posted a video and like right away before it actually got any views, there was a comment from some dude and it was like, women aren't funny. Like I'll get... <laughs> like he hadn't even watched the clip. No, he, he doesn't need to. Yeah. He doesn't need to. Uh, so that, I mean, that just happens a ton. Right. Uh, I think huh. the, the Ali Wong comparison or the question about being compared to Ali Wong is a little bit more thoughtful than that. Uh, in, in a way, I mean, to go back to it, I, I of course wouldn't mind that comparison either. Ali Wong is incredibly funny, very successful. Sure. Uh, but 
there are more and more Asian comics out there, Asian female comics, mm-hmm. and also comics who have uh, kids and babies. Uh, so Amy Schumer recently had a baby. Natasha right. Leggero had a baby. Uh, so Ali Wong, I think, was the first one in modern times to like have a special while pregnant. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad it was really good, too. It was great. It's one of my favorites. Right? It was yeah. so good. And she's so great. And I think when there are more and more comics out there doing material uh, of a certain brand like that attracts certain people, like maybe pregnant people or people who have kids, it's better for all of us. Absolutely. So I don't mind any of it, except for the backhanded uh, types of uh, sure. comparisons to Amy <laughs> Schumer, which, again, generally I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. And, um, I mean, you've kind of ruined my whole point, oh, but sorry. that's fine. That's why <laughs> and, I, and I offered you the opportunity to make your point You first. did, and you turned it around on me in this idea that more people ask you about how many times you get compared to her. Um And obviously there is a difference. I mean, your ancestry is Korean, her ancestry, Chinese, Vietnamese, similarities in terms of maybe some themes, but very different, like different comics. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's so much diversity within Asian, like Asia is a giant continent. There's so many, there's racism within Asian cultures. Oh, yeah. Even, right? So, uh, you know, in a way. South Asians and Asians. Are very racist. Do you want to know something <laughs> that I always thought was interesting? So there's people that we call South Asians and mm-hmm. East Asians, but nobody ever calls anybody North Asian or West Asian. Mm. So what are we <laughs> what are we comparing to there? You can answer. Are, Sib- are, are Siberians uh, North Asian? I've never thought about Siberians. <laughs> I've never met a Siberian. Unless they were huskies. Like a dog. That's or a wolf. I don't or know. Are they wolves? I think they're I don't know. We should oh. edit this out. But um I what was I gonna say? Uh, we need Google is what we need. Yeah, yeah. I think I think comedy wise, like I I mean I don't make a distinction between different comics that are funny. I mean, sorry, different comics that are of different races, whether they're Asian or not. Sure. I just think it's great to have more of everything in comedy because when you have more of everything, whether it's females or Asians or people of different backgrounds, you draw in a larger audience base that mm-hmm. is potentially an audience base for everybody. Yeah. So I think it's good. Did you make your point already? No, oh. I'll, we'll we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> Who's I, leading this interview? I'm. We're sorry. just having. Well, no one's leading it. Okay. It's going to go where it goes, awesome. right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah, I do love that point about you know having a larger audience base and bringing in more people, and that's the whole idea of of inclusivity. You've sort of touched on that in a in a broader level, but how about on a personal level? Like, what does that? What does diversity or greater representation mean for you hmm. personally? Either as a comic or as a fan yeah so I and when I think of this I think of it in terms of comedy and also anything on screen whether it's sm- like small screen or big screen sure. or you know TV um, online streaming representation like, in media basically. yeah I think also it's it's only a good thing I, I think um I mean, first and foremost, myself as a comic, my goal is to be a really good comic. Mm -hmm. So I don't think of myself as an Asian comic. I don't think of myself as a female comic. Those factor in, in various ways, often not pleasant, uh, you know, as I try to be be a comic. Um, But I, I love that we are seeing more people of different backgrounds and genders and like females and transgender mm-hmm. and you know uh, uh you know gay lesbians like everybody combined because it's a beautiful thing when art reflects the world Absolutely. right like why wouldn't you want uh the people that you see or hear in media to be like everybody else that you see in the rest of the world mm-hmm. of course you would 
So that I mean, to, to me, that's the extent of it. It's it's and it's also the fact that you know. And I'm sort of saying this while I roll my eyes, which people can't really see, but um, cause, because it's starting to sound cliche, this idea that, oh, I want, you know, growing up, I never saw anybody that looked like me. So I didn't think I could do this or I didn't think I was attractive like all of it. And I'm rolling mm-hmm. my eyes because it's cliche, but it very much applies to me as well. So I love now that there's uh, people on screen that look like me, not so much for myself, although you know, it's still a good thing for me, but I have a little kid too now. So mm-hmm. I want her to believe nothing other than the fact that she belongs here. She is, uh, you know, entitled to aspire to whatever she wants to do and be. So, um, see, yeah, I don't think it nice. is, I don't think huh? it is cliche. No, because I think when there's a personalized story to it, I mean, one uh, story from the podcast that I've always alluded to, probably alluded to the most out of any conversation, um, is this interview that I had with Karen Kay from Mm Seafox. And she was very personal and and talked about how when she was growing up as a South Asian girl, uh, she was scared to tell people that she wanted to be on TV because she didn't see people that looked like her on Mm -hmm. TV. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very truthful admission. And I don't think that's cliche when it is personalized like that, because a lot of people of color or perhaps other minorities Mm -hmm. do feel that way. And perhaps even women in certain spaces, whether it's Mm -hmm. politics or whatever else, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where if you don't see that as a kid, you, you think like, oh, that space is not meant for me. You're right. You're right. And I was a little bit flippant when I said that before. I, I guess I, I shouldn't have said that it was cliche. I've heard I've heard it a lot because I sure. happen to uh, be in the entertainment industry. So I hear that kind of thing a lot. Right. And I also like, you know, for my whole life had have had various barriers in my life. My philosophy and style more is like acknowledge it or ignore it or acknowledge it and then move on, I guess. Right. So I don't consciously think about it all the time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you make a great point. And it is not an insignificant thing that um, a lot of people of color and women um haven't seen themselves as having those possibilities or mm-hmm. even even when you're not adequately represented on the screen you think you're less than those people whose stories are told more often right so that's the part that i think is significant to me more and and applicable to a broader uh swath of people out there than oh i didn't think i could be an actress or singer sure fair enough right yeah Yeah. i actually like that a lot more the idea that if you don't see yourself on screen you don't think of yourself as like actually somebody in society Mm -hmm. with a valid story right yeah yeah. that's an interesting point Mm. um so i was going to tell you a story Please do. <laughs> and this and this goes this harks back to the the Ali Wong question that that I asked you. <laughs> okay. And now I feel silly that I asked you that question. But don't feel silly. <laughs> no, because again, there there must be a reason why people keep asking me that, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I got I got to clarify. You've clarified it. You've set the record straight. That nobody, question does not need to be asked. Nobody will ask. Even me in that. the for the purpose of a point. <laughs> right. Thank you. <laughs> so I had something happen to me recently. <clears throat> And it's it's quite funny in retrospect. In retrospect, but when it was happening, it was very jarring. I met a friend of a friend who had listened to my podcast and had heard of me, but I'd never met this person before. And she was a just for context, she was a middle aged white lady, very nice. And she says to me, she goes, "You know, I love your voice. You are so easy to talk to, and I love the way you interview your guests. And it feels like I'm right there." And it was very sweet. So I'm, you know, 
being very flattered and, oh, this is very mm-hmm. nice. Go on. And, uh, and then she drops the bomb and she goes, you know, you're exactly like Gian Gameshi. <laughs> Was this before the... <laughs> no, this was very recently. <laughs> You're just like... Yeah, and um, so, <laughs> yeah. Should I get out of this room right now? <laughs> so my knee-jerk reaction was, please do not ever make that comparison ever again. I bet you said it with a smile. Maybe, but I, I, I was very taken aback <gasps> by that, because that's a terrible comparison. It is terrible. Did she know what she was saying? Well... When I said when I said that, like when I was like, please don't make that comparison again. Um, she got a little defensive and was like, no, 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 not like the bad stuff. I'm talking about you know his interview style. And to me, it's like, well, the bad stuff is so bad. There is no yeah. redeemable stuff at this point. And that seems to be the general consensus because he is not somebody referenced regularly no. or nobody uh, redeems him in conversation no. or online or anything like that, except for this lady, apparently. But it, I guess it was this this idea of like, even though, again, he's Persian, I'm Pakistani by oh, ancestry, Jesus. but it's that idea of like, oh, here's a brown guy that yeah. talks to people in an audio format, like data chunking, right? So I don't yeah. think this person was a bad person or even meant it in a bad way. Uh-huh. Um, they just drew that comparison, which was very awkward. And I, and I think... You know, like there are a lot of black people playing football, mm-hmm. but if you see a kid that plays football really well, it happens to be black. Uh-huh. You wouldn't be like, "Hey, you remind me of O.J. Simpson." You That's know, like, funny. That would yeah, not for sure. happen. I think it is this unconscious thing that people do. Like, okay, I'll tell you a story that has nothing to do with comedy but it was like so my husband when we first started dating I told him that oh I want to go blonde I want to go blonde like okay. trying to figure it out looking at some pictures of ideas of blonde hairstyles or whatever that I'd like so sure. he thought he was being helpful so he sends over by text mm-hmm. a few pictures of like different types of blonde hair they were all pictures of Asian women with blonde hair <laughs> I was so offended. I mean, I pretended I was more offended than I was actually offended. But that was just one example of like uh, something that didn't need to be done. Right. Mm. Like you don't just have me pictures of, you know what I'm going to say. You don't just send me pictures of Asian women with blonde hair. I'm just looking at the hair part. So when you're trying to be a comic, you're just trying to be a comic, not trying to be an Asian comic or for you, right. you know, being a podcaster sure, or yeah. what what would you uh, podcaster let's pod- go with that sure or yeah. like if you know a, um uh, an interviewer sure. you're trying to be an interviewer you're not trying to be a brown or who however she sees an interview exactly it is slightly offensive yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah mine more so than yours i feel like Yes, because I married I married this guy. I, I find it offensive too. I mean, I take a little bit of solace in the fact that, you know, the I mean, in a lot of cases, these people aren't trying to be offensive. Yeah, and like bless them. No, they and, just and it feels don't know. It sounds like your husband wasn't trying to be. No, nope, but he learned a lesson that day. Because <laughs> if you were asking for, mm-hmm. um, if you're like I'm looking for a certain type of clothing wear, a jacket or something, mm-hmm. and uh, he was to send you photos, <laughs> and it was just Asian models, right? that would be worse. That would be worse. But it, um, I'll tell you, before, like when I first started comedy, I got compared a lot more with Margaret Cho. Right. I think it does. Who was have, sort of the the first. the first? Yeah. For sure, first. 
famous Asian comic, and she, you know, had a sitcom, <laughs> and she was Korean and female. So I got that. I even got annoyed at that. I mean, just because there <laughs> was a comparison, not because I wouldn't want to be compared to again a hugely successful comedian. Right. Um, and I just I find that it happens less and less in comedy because. I think the general public is more aware of a much more diverse and numerous, um, you know, collection of of comics out there. Mm -hmm. And and that was actually my next question. Do you think uh, comedy is pointed in the right direction? Because when I look at something like Netflix and, Mm -hmm. and their original programming, even when I look at the local comedy scene here in Vancouver, like it does seem to be a lot of diverse voices and a lot of diverse acts. I'm not saying it's perfectly representative. I don't think that's ever possible. Yeah. But there cert- certainly seems to be a lot more diversity. And, and maybe that speaks to you not being compared to Ali Wong as yeah, much as maybe. maybe I thought you would be. Maybe. I haven't thought a lot about like diversity in comedy like mm-hmm. a ton. I think the more, I think there are more people doing comedy, which is a good thing. Like yeah. I think because comedy sort of on this upswing, there's all, there's Netflix specials, there's um, a lot of content generally being consumed mm-hmm. and so a lot more comedy being consumed. So I, I feel like I've met a lot of comics who have started recently because comedy seems kind of glamorous uh, to a lot of people and sure. they want to, you know, uh, just like want... just like podcasting, apparently. Right, of course, of course. <laughs> and uh, I do want your autograph after, by the way. But uh, so you know, people kind of go into it, and they think it's glamorous and everything. But it, you know, overall, I think the more people that are doing it, perhaps the better comedy gets. Like it's elevated, and we have to do better. Absolutely, right. So I I don't mind that. Yeah, all. there's like no. that sense of friendly cooperation, right? Sometimes. <laughs> or, may, or maybe or, uh, friendly uh, competitiveness, maybe, is what I should say. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's because, like, nobody understands your life more than another comic. But mm-hmm. at the same time, sure, absolutely, there's a element of competition out there. But at the same time, we live in a time where there's never been... So I'm making a generalization because I haven't fact-checked. Fact I would be surprised if ever in civilization we've ever had so much content being produced, right? Oh, we haven't. Right? There's no possible right? way. So more... More writers, more producers, more actors, more com- like all of it, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess we're competition, but you're also in this world now where we can create our own opportunities. There's fewer gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. There are fewer opportunities for which proportionally that we have to go through gatekeepers for. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities now. So uh, it uh, again, I think it's 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 good. It's better overall for sure as an yeah. artist. Yeah, yeah. I want to bring back to race for for one second. Okay. You have a baby. Uh-huh. A girl, right? She is a girl. I've never met your baby. I want to see a picture? Sure, okay. but our, our, yes, our podcast on. viewers can't see. Right, right. Um, but well, I have... they especially can't see because I don't. Uh, <laughs> I keep her face private. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've never met your baby, okay. but I feel like I'm already a fan <laughs> because she is a mixed-race baby. She's a half-hour baby, uh-huh. and in my opinion... Mixed race babies are aesthetically superior, and they're also genetically superior. Uh-huh. That's science, by the way. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just feel like in this world of overpopulation, we just need to do away with one race babies uh-huh. and just procreate mixed sure. race babies. Sure. I feel like you did a big service. 
Oh, thank you so much. And I, I have to say, I do, I do a bunch of material about my half Asian mm-hmm. baby. Uh, and uh, I will also say that, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, doing this alone. It's a very popular thing. Yeah. Half race part of a babies. movement. Oh, my God. Half race babies, especially half Asian babies. I, I do joke is like pro- half Asian is probably the predominant race in yeah. Vancouver, right? Like they're everywhere. It's just these beautiful model like looking babies. And uh, so you think they're more beautiful? Absolutely. I think, <laughs> and, and, and I will say half Asian, half mm-hmm. black, half what yeah. any yeah. race, and, and it could be Asian and brown. It so, could be any two okay. races. I have a question for you. So I guess I always thought so too. Like, admittedly, I always like, because when I was growing up, there were far fewer half, mm-hmm. uh, half kids, like usually half white, half Asian. That's mm-hmm. very, very popular. Or half black, half white. Sure. I always thought some of the most attractive men and women I've ever met have been half black, half white. Mm-hmm. I also wondered at some point if these uh, uh, mixed race people were more beautiful to us because they were more rare. 100%. Right? I wonder how that's going to change in the future when like everyone's doing each other and like you have all of these different combinations of, of races. I wonder maybe like in 40 years we're going to or 40, 50, 60 years we're going to be like see like a pure Asian person or like the one pure oh. Indian person be like, "Wow, you're exotic." Right. <laughs> Yeah, everyone else is just beige. Yeah, and totally. uh, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. But like, have you? Mm. And again, this this is coming from what you're saying in terms of some of these faces being rare. Mm-hmm. But have you ever been to Brazil? No, but I love Brazilian uh, all you can eat buffets. They are excellent. The best. And have you tried those little cheese breads? Oh, the uh, I think they're called like. Queso Paos or something? Something like, like yeah, that. Yeah. They actually have them at Choices Frozen. They're incredibly really? expensive. But did you know they're also <laughs> gluten-free? Uh, that doesn't wow. mean anything to me. Right. That's fine. They, I, I was just, uh, you know, because people in Vancouver are listening. And, sure. You know, 80% of Vancouverites are... Gluten-free, gluten-free people. Yeah. But Everyone has celiac so, disease here. Know, it's in right? the water. They're so, they're so delicious. Anyways, I've never been to Brazil. Well, in... Uh, in 2006, mm-hmm. I lived in Curitiba, Brazil for three months, Ooh. and I was in my early 20s. But I remember having my jaw dropped the entire time mm. at women and men because mm-hmm. they were just like faces I have never seen before. Yeah. And Brazilian yeah. does have um, a lot of mixed races. So uh-huh. you'll have like just interesting combinations of black, indigenous, East European, West European, yeah. uh, Lebanese, mm-hmm. uh, Japanese, yeah. and just these faces that you've never seen before. And whether they were in shape, out of shape, they were just beautiful people. Oh, that's so nice. So, so I, you know, I wouldn't mind living in that <laughs> environment <gonna> <laughs> all the time. It's not safe everywhere, but... Um... No, they could import that here. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. Or you just wait ten or twenty years because again, everybody's kind of going mixed. I do touch on that in my stand-up. It actually tends to resonate very strongly with Vancouverites uh, because, yeah, I mean, it happens a lot. I think I've seen it happen a lot more with Asians. Mm-hmm. Usually, Asian girl, white guy. Yeah, I've seen it kind of. I mean, a, a bunch in like black, white, black and white combinations. Mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. A lot of my friends who are brown, like Indian or like Muslim, like Miss Smiley or whatever, sure. they do tend to, They, my friends at least, have tend to marry other people from the same background. Yeah, yeah I would say, I mean, I've certainly seen the, the brown half or baby mm-hmm. 
gorgeous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe because it's even more rare. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I, f- I find the Hafer thing so funny because we're like, people tried to shy away from race and saying too much about race, but people yeah. have no problem coming up to you and telling you how beautiful your half Asian baby is. Is that how they say it? Happens they a lot. They don't say baby, they, they qualify uh-huh. half Asian baby. This isn't my joke. There was actually an old lady that came up to me and she said, and she was actually like Asian. Okay. She goes, Your baby is so beautiful. She can't be full Asian, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happens all the time. Is she allowed to say that if she's Asian? No, nobody's allowed to say it. But there's, but they still say it. I had an old white lady came out to my kid, and she, uh, she told me what a unique mix she is, and called her exotic. Wow. I think it's all older people too. Yeah. Yeah. Because they mean well. Do they? They don't know. I don't think they mean well. I think they don't know better. Right? They there is a difference. You're they right. They have different yeah. norms. I don't think they, I don't know, meaning well and not meaning uh, something maliciously, I think, are also different. I, here's the other thing. Like when, mm-hmm. and it starts for women, like I think in pregnancy and then, you know, even when you have the baby, people make comments for no reason. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just like they just say stuff to you. When I was pregnant, all of these strangers would come up to me and just be like, boy or girl. I'm like, do you care? Like, you're never going to see me again. And whatever I say, there's no, they don't come back with anything good. I'll say girl. They're like, oh, nice. Like, what would you have said if I said boy? Also, I don't Gross. care about your opinion. I know, right? Or like people would just be, come up and say, "When are you due?" It's like, "Shut up! I don't care." And I well, just strangers, you mean? Yeah, and I only say, "Shut up," because like it gets tiring. Yeah. Of just like people making, I don't like small talk unless it's good small talk, right? Like right. sometimes small talk can be fascinating and you can learn a lot of things, but like ninety percent of small talk is just wasted. Yeah. Words. And in a culture where we generally talk less and less to strangers Mm -hmm. why do you think people are compelled to come up to pregnant Mm -hmm. women and make that small talk (laughs) what's the what's the is it just because there's a reverence for oh god mothers to be or that's interesting i don't think so i i think it could be a few things i think that when somebody sees a woman that's pregnant or has a small child or a stroller, Mm -hmm. they assume that they are a safe place, a good person, friendly. Mm. It may be the case with a lot of people. I just didn't have any interest because, like, I was also irritated when I was pregnant. Couldn't (laughs) breathe properly. I was, like, peeing all the time, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, like, again, I don't like small talk. I wouldn't like it anymore if I was pregnant. I'm sounding like a giant asshole. I know. So they, if I think that if there's someone who is inclined to have small talk, they will choose a woman who is pregnant or has a baby, or maybe they think they're being kind to us. Do I? Maybe I look lonely. Maybe it looks like I want to talk about it. Yeah. But I don't. Interesting. I got the dumbest questions and the most amount of uh, insignificant small talk uh, in the early. <laughs> In the pregnancy years and when the baby was really little. And, and who's making the small talk? Older people, you find? Or people in yeah. our age group? Age no, group? a lot of people were older. I think they're yeah. the ones that I would see out during the day, too. Oh, also true. Yeah. And maybe they were lonely. In yeah. which case, now I'm feeling bad. Uh, <laughs> you just ripped on them for a big rant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the time, it's like, you know, just someone you're in the elevator with. Like, I yeah. think if I'm in the elevator with someone and I've got, you know, I'm not pregnant, we're both okay with not talking. Yeah. But I think if you have a belly, people feel like they need to say something. Got to talk about that elephant in the room. And I literally... <laughs> 
I'm the elephant. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, but uh, so yeah, it was an it was a really annoying time for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I I want to touch more on this uh, uh-huh. on this uh, your motherhood experience so far. Sure. I feel like we're in this generation where mommy guilt is more prevalent than ever. Mm. Mo- mostly because most moms work, and you know most dads work too, but. I feel like dads just have a social or like a lower bar Mm -hmm. in terms of their societal expectations. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why, like, at least one factor for why mommy guilt is so prevalent. Did you ever deal with this? Hmm. Or do you know people that dealt with it, I guess? So, I mean, so for me, I think overall, I am, as every day goes by, less and less a fan of you know, being who other people expect me to be or mm-hmm. living a life that other people have defined is a good life sure. or a, a valuable, you know, a, a, you know, way to be. So I, I think that when you become a parent, uh, that magnifies like that happens to you like 100 percent more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not a fan of that generally. And I, I don't accept uh you know, that kind of thinking in my life as a mom. I don't have mommy guilt. I don't think that I should have guilt as a parent any more than mm-hmm. my, my husband does. So I don't. Good for you. Uh, yeah, but that's the thing. Thank you. I, I appreciate that you're saying that. I know that you're sincere. But if you look at it from a logical perspective, mm-hmm. there is no reason I should be doing more work than my husband. There is no sure. reason I should be more guilty about when I am there or what I'm not doing or what I'm not providing mm-hmm. than my husband is. So I just don't do it just because it's not logical. It's not even a stand that I'm taking. Okay, doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so I uh, and I'm certainly not yeah. advocating for mommy guilt or daddy oh, I guilt. I know you're not, I'm, and I know it's out there. I know, I know it's out there. For I'm, sure. I'm making the point that um, the the friends of mine or, or yeah. family members of mine that do have kids, uh-huh. I find that. And I would say every mother I've ever known, yeah. takes on some degree of guilt. Whereas mostly every dad I've known. Mm-hmm. Is not thinking yeah, in that yeah. same mind frame, right? Well, I also think that most of the women I know are extremely, extremely capable. Mm-hmm. And so they take on a lot of things. Uh, and a lot of the men I know don't have a, don't put as much pressure on themselves. So sure. maybe an extension of that is the pressure that they don't put themselves on under uh, when they're, you know, parents either. Definitely there's a lot more judgment mm-hmm. uh, that comes to, to moms. So like when I tell people that I just worked, I, I took three and a half weeks off after I had my baby and then I went back to work. People, wow. it's a mixture of people wondering, oh, what do you do? As if I have to justify to them <laughs> that I'm really important or I have a really high salary or uh, I need to, you know, my work is urgent. Right. As if I have to explain to them why so mm-hmm. that they're comfortable with it, right? The mm-hmm. actual reason is nobody's business. And again, completely logical and fair that my husband takes the parental leave. And he did. He stayed at home for three, no, sorry, 35 weeks. He took the maximum allowable time. And I didn't. And that's just the way we work. But I get, it's funny because I get a lot of judgment about it that I, you know, 
largely tend to ignore it. I'll get pissed off about it, rant on stage, put a new five minutes together, sure. and then I'll move on, right? Yeah. But my husband, even if he does the most minimal amount of things, <laughs> is the hero. What right. a saint, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that definitely pisses me off. And, and I know it's not his fault. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and I'm exploring this as well in my jokes right now. I mean, partly it's sexism for sure. I find mm-hmm. a lot of the shitty comments actually come from other moms, like other other women, not even women that are having kids the same time as me, but older women. Really? Yeah, for sure. Um, and not, I'm not saying it's all of them, but most of like the backhanded, you look busy, uh, you're so lucky you've got a husband that does stuff comes from older women. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because they didn't get that or they, that's not their value system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really care. But um, yeah, most of that kind of shit talking has come from them. So <laughs> it sounds like what you're saying is a, a lot of this guilt is from societal pressure as opposed to something that's intrinsically maternal. Well, it could be both, right? Because right. like messaging is so important. So when you're constantly be told, being told like what you should be doing or getting these backhanded comments, mm-hmm. of course, it, I think it's going to affect you a lot. I have the benefit <clears throat> of having uh, been pretty comfortable with myself for a while before I came became a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I have a little bit of a fuck you mentality, right? When it comes to what people think about me or try to tell me, you know, what to do or be. Mm-hmm. So I think I was ready for it and I already had my uh, <laughs> mechanisms for, you know, for dealing with it. And, sure. and, and I was, um, you know, I sort of had armor around it. But, um, yeah, a lot of criticism comes from, from other women. And I'm not someone that, you know, is going to say, oh, you know, uh, women judge mo- uh, women. Uh, women don't like other women. It's nothing mm-hmm. like that. It is a stressful time. Uh, and, and not everybody has partners or circumstances where they can, uh, you know, be less than a full-time mom mm-hmm. or put their kids in care or have somebody else do the stuff yeah for me it's a really important part um of being a parent that i don't do it all the time yeah um and from experience i can say like my my mom worked her butt off her like she has always worked her butt off she had three kids my parents both worked in the variety store the convenience store that they um uh, ran together but my mom also did all the shopping all the cleaning all the cooking so that was what Hmm. i saw the gender modeling that i saw was my mom just did all the work so i'm a really hard worker i don't stop to pat myself on the back it's just the way that i was brought up and i also believe that like i don't want to be bored all right. And I right. think boredom and idleness leads to bad things. Uh, um, so for me, it. Oh, what was I going to say? Yeah. So my mom was always busy. She was doing all of these things and providing for us and making all these wonderful meals. But she was not always in a good mood. Right. Right. And she didn't take care of herself. She was so selfless. And of course, I'll always be grateful for that. But that's not how I want to be. I know and I'm fortunate to be able to do this, that I am happy when I am fulfilled, when mm-hmm. I'm busy, when I have my own identity and my own life. Uh, and I want to model that to my child. She's a, she's a little girl who's going to be a woman in this world. And I want her to um, have the example of a mom who goes after her dreams and works hard. The other thing is that um, I don't want to be at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Fair enough. That's pretty much it. I I'm hoping that you can give 
mm-hmm. uh, a listener of this podcast and one of my good friends uh-huh. some advice. Okay. So and it's it's on this topic, and it, okay. I think you said you you've pretty much given a lot of great advice. Well, here's can I just clarify something? Sure. I don't. I mean, if people want to accept it as advice, that's cool. Exactly. I just yeah, yeah. don't. I, I'm like you're not I'm telling people saying, what to do. No, no, yeah. no, no. Like, there's a thousand ways to do things. I'm telling you that the the approach I take for me to be happy, mm-hmm. um, totally understanding that other people's circumstances and values are totally different, and I respect sure. that too. You are offering perspective, then. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I I'm fascinated by the the societal pressures, and then either maternal or paternal hardwiring that we have. And, and this just fascinates fascinates me just from a curious level. Mm-hmm. So I have this friend who told me this story and she was like confessing a sin in her mind. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I thought it was very mm-hmm. silly mm-hmm. about how, you know, she has this newborn now mm-hmm. and she's breastfeeding and breastfeeding, I guess, turns into this routinized thing mm-hmm. uh, where you're just doing it on a schedule. Mm-hmm. And... At one one of these sessions, she picked up her phone to look at her phone, and then she's telling me the story about how, and then when she looked back at her baby, her baby was looking at her with betrayal and sadness, and then she got all guilty, and we're talking about a newborn, right? Mm-hmm. And she's talking, and she's telling me like, and I just, my heart broke because I, I broke this sacred ritual between us, <laughs> and I could not help but laugh and just be like, <laughs> that baby doesn't know what's happening. Well, babies like, can't even see beyond like a, a few centimeters in the beginning like how old was this baby like we're just a blur to them it was probably a few months moment. yeah like i don't i'm not sure the exact age okay. but i remember the story was so funny but she was being very serious and this is not this is not uh, for lack of a better word a silly woman this is a very smart intelligent one but took on this like sense of guilt so early on to something so small that i i found that fascinating and the and the more of my friends and more of my circle have had kids, I've noticed that just women take on mm-hmm. this guilt, mm-hmm. whether it is from society or it's internal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I wonder, wondering out loud, Sure, are these people that feel guilt uh, about other things more than their spouses or other people? Like, I, I just like... There are a lot of people that are prone to feel guilty mm-hmm. about a lot of things. And so maybe when uh, there's a baby or pregnancy involved, you know, it's the, it's focused on the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you have people who don't feel guilty about a lot of things or you haven't been made feel to feel guilty. And so maybe they feel less guilty about mothering things. I fall yeah. in that camp. I wonder. I, I do know that women that I know... Um, generally take responsibility for things that they don't need to take responsibility for. Which is the same idea. Yeah, Yeah, so I wonder. I mean, I don't know your friend, and, you know, um, she has her own unique experience. I can't comment. I'm not even going to laugh into the mic. I I know because you're laughing, but, like... I'm laughing. Now I'm the jerk. Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) so that doesn't resonate with me. Yeah, fair enough. uh, But it's also not uh, uncommon. Like, I know a lot of people who feel the same way. And, you know, everyone is complicated. We're all... We all have different reasons for different things. Yeah, yeah. And often, like, those kinds of feelings are with the first child, right? Yeah. And I imagine... I also imagine for someone who is smart and successful and has their life together and then yeah. you're thrown this chaos of a baby in terms of everything is new to you, mm-hmm. everything's new to this baby, yeah. maybe fe- losing that sense of control or I guess. what you think it is or expectations. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, 
I just find that people make such a big deal. What we're we're procreating, we're creating <laughs> tiny humans that are going to populate the world after us. Yeah. Right. These are, for the most part, like for your friends and my friends, mm-hmm. things we're doing consciously. Sure. Because we want to. Because we want that in our lives. Yeah. So we do it, and then sometimes tend to act like we're victims of it or complain about it and like I don't know I mean it is hard for Mm -hmm. sure but it's also gonna pass yeah and so for me maybe it's because I also have the benefit of turning stuff like that into my jokes right I don't mind you know yeah of course there are really hard days and we scream at home and we (laughs) fight and all that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. it causes stuff but it one it's gonna pass uh two there's always somebody worse off and three for me i can turn it into my jokes right so yeah which resonate with a lot of people in the audience yeah right? i think so yeah i think so yeah. um we, we we might have put the uh the the cart before the horse here mm-hmm. let let's talk about procreating but the stuff that comes <laughs> before procreating which is dating yes and uh societal pressures <laughs> On men, actually, let's talk about societal pressures on women, uh-huh. uh, and we're talking about hetero cisnormative men and women okay. and their relations here. Okay. Do you think there's also a lowered expectation for men in the dating realm? We've sort of touched on the fatherhood realm, but do you think they get a lot of praise for stuff that's pretty minimal? Because I do feel like men mm-hmm. have a lot of slack in terms of we can be a little slovenly oh. or, um, you know, not as put together or maybe not even as, a little, as good a shape. You're not shape. wearing pants, Mike. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, well, okay. Well, I think I think more generally, yeah. I mean, if you talk about beauty standards, they're yeah. higher for women than men, whether you're dating or not, right? Like mm-hmm. just, you know, anywhere in the world, whether you're at work or on the street or anything like that. Definitely. I think, um, so that's just like, number one right Mm -hmm. i think in terms of dating i find expectations are different in in different places so like Mm. i was born and raised in toronto i did most of my dating in toronto okay i've only been in bc you were ran out of that town well yeah i guess so (laughs) no i i moved out here for uh school okay and then happened to meet my husband here and he actually happens to also be from toronto which i think is a big reason we we get along because i really feel like the sensibilities of people here are different than there and they manifest themselves in dating in um expectations of dating i mean i don't know like every single single girlfriend I've had in Vancouver tells me about how men in Vancouver are cheap. I think maybe there's less money in Vancouver or maybe, you know, there's more gender equality because it's it, often it's, you know, about the, the guy going Dutch with the woman. I don't, I don't know. Sure. Um, let's, let's blame the uh, progressives. Right. For everything. <laughs> um, but, um, so I don't know about expectations in dating. I think mm-hmm. it's a, I think, I think that it's so much bigger than that. I think like, like the concept of chivalry mm-hmm. in the context of a world that is full of more empowered women who are highly educated, have their own money, have their own properties before going into relationships and things like that. Like, I, I don't right. think those things are so difficult to, to parse out. I also think like dating's weird uh, because, uh, well, okay. I'll go back to this point. I I feel like I know more and more women who are just like not finding the men that they want mm-hmm. to date and choosing not to date. Did you know, I read this article in Time Magazine last year or the year before about how women in Japan and South Korea are choosing not to get married because 
The expectations are that they work full time, but yeah. also if they get married, that they serve their husband. If they have kids, that they also take care of the kids. And then oh, when their parents get older, they have to take care of their parents, but then also their in-law parents. And yeah. that's just like too much. So like this whole generation of women in Japan and Korea are saying, fuck this. And they're not even getting married. And like just such interesting yeah. implications for society and like, you know, population growth and things like that. So, and that's very common in, in you know, South Asian culture as well. But I think the, and I'm not, I'm not justifying that system. I'm just saying that the, the missing piece of that tradition is the the woman wouldn't be working a full time job. Yeah, <laughs> right. But Whereas, I think in, oh, okay. But um, in in some countries, like those countries, mm-hmm. fully expected and, and yep, required yeah. to to do so. So I I don't know. I think it's so different in different places that you go with, with different uh, you know cultural cultural norms. Were you were you meaning something in particular? I was not meaning anything. I was oh. going to see where you were going to take oh, it. Oh, I have so many thoughts on dating. Having dated like a, a where, lot. Where should chivalry, like should we be chivalrous? <laughs> because I, I, so I, because I had immigrant parents uh-huh. and there's a certain adherence to customs yeah, that yeah. I find immigrant parents have a little more. Yeah, yeah. So I remember, you know. Like beating be- the woman? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't mean yours. I just meant generally. <laughs> Now I'm regretting that telling you that Gion story, but (laughs) um, (laughs) no, uh, there's certain like customs. So uh, the example I'll give you is when I remember being in high school, and um, uh, there it was after a high school dance, and uh, a friend of mine wanted to ride home, and I was I was good friends with her, Mm -hmm. and my mom was driving, and she dropped uh, this girl off. And when the girl was getting out of the car, my mom looked at me and was like, what are you doing? Go walk her to the door. Uh, like, what? Like she got mad uh-huh. that I didn't even clue into uh, that. That's cute. So I w- that was kind of um, stuff like that. Or, or even, to be honest, I will, this is not a brag. This is just something that I think I was brought up with. I will pay for a first date even if I'm not interested in the person. Just because I feel like I that's, that's a certain custom and, and courtship. And, you know, it's, it's great to... To live in this postmodern world where there are no rules and you can, mm-hmm. you, you can go at, at you can go at whatever pace or comfort you'd like. Yeah. But some of these little things they take minimal effort in a uh-huh. lot of ways. Uh-huh. So why not? I think that's very them? nice. I, th- I think you. But I have like had stand up gentleman. Yes. Uh, thank you. But I have had pushback. From someone being like, oh, you don't think you can, yeah, yeah. like, why are you opening the door for me? I or, know, it's like, so funny. Like, I, think, <laughs> I think it's something that none of us have figured out yeah. yet. And there's so many little nuances and factors in there. So, for instance, mm-hmm. you pay for the first date every time. But then it would also depend on how often you go on a date. Right? Sure. And where you're going. Like, you're, are you not going to the Hawksworth on every first date, right? No. Right? No. And also, would you still pay for the first date if you showed up and it was, it's not even that you didn't like the person. They completely misrepresented themselves and they were rude, like all of that. Would you still pay for the first date? Yes. Wow. Okay. I mean, they would have to be really rude. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've had people that were, that were rude, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean like grotesquely rude oh, for gross. me to, like if I felt the need to walk out, yeah, yeah, yeah. then yeah, I probably <laughs> Fearing for your safety. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, th- I think that's very nice of you. I think, I think that is a nice thing. I think, I think another important, um, 
uh, factor there is like who asked who, right? So I think Absolutely. a lot of people are like, I invited you, I'm going to pay, which I, I find to be um, a, ni- a nice thing to do. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have so many thoughts on dating. I mean, I dated a bunch in Toronto and then dated here. I was, uh, you know, a fan of meeting people and like seeing what was out there and mm-hmm. also, you know, avoiding settling down and all that kind sure. of stuff. So a lot, a lot of dating. But you can get into yeah, that cycle different. real quick mm-hmm. with, with apps and oh, whatever else. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you, were you, was your era of dating <laughs> did that include apps oh a ton a ton of okay a ton of online dating so i've only been with my husband for about like four five years okay so yeah lot lots of online dating which i was really getting sick of and it wasn't even that like oh i'm tired of being single it's like the whole online thing is i mean unless they really innovate and come up with a better way to do it more engaging more meaningful mm-hmm. um i don't know i think it's just an extension of this whole screen time being online thing like yeah. nothing is sacred you're you're swiping through people you're clicking on profiles it doesn't feel like people are real um it's like you're commoditizing people and do you way. think that and i agree with you um but i don't know how you meet people anymore I know. <laughs> but yeah. do you think that the, that culture the swipe culture or dating app culture that's now killed any sense of <laughs> courtship or uh, chivalry as we sort of alluded to earlier because it is very easy to and I probably did this in my 20s uh-huh. uh, very easy to line up many dates in a week mm-hmm. where paying for the first date then would become a lot more challenging <laughs> And it, it, it is almost this disposable, it almost feels yeah. like this disposable commodity culture that we're yeah, in, Yeah, right? but then on the flip side, it's like you were you are that to other people, too. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So that's not nice, either. Yeah. Um, you yeah. can only hold uh, your own integrity, right? And that's, I, I think, for as much as we uh, single people might complain about the dating uh-huh. world, uh-huh. I always think about this idea that you can only have your integrity and hold that integrity and you can't really expect other people to to totally. have that right hopefully you find someone where mm-hmm. it's a good enough match that yeah. way but this idea you can't complain about ghosting while you're ghosting people oh it's true <laughs> but i mean what i find interesting is like i mean like i think we demand the technology that emerges to mm-hmm. serve us but at the same time like it changes us too right yeah. so i wonder how much people and their dating patterns and what they're actually looking for has changed because of them like being immersed in this world of online dating and truly seeing people as commodities or seeing themselves as being being devalued because they're mm-hmm. only like one of like a hundred people that someone will swipe on that day. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just glad to be out of it. It's not even like I was afraid, you know, because a lot of people are like, I don't want to be single. I want to be with someone. I want to be alone forever. Sure. That really, I mean, that part of it didn't really bug me mm-hmm. except for the fact that I thought, oh, maybe I want a kid. Right. But the um, the dating process itself, yeah, it, it does suck. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. Or <laughs> give us some more perspective, some advice perhaps for people who are on apps. Do you have any rules? God, I think it's been, I think it's changed even since I stopped a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Can I, I just have to say, and I don't sure. mean to be difficult with your questions. I'm just so not, I, I so try to stay away from coming across as giving like advice or like saying you know how things are because like um 
I hate being told what to do. I hate unsolicited advice. So like, um, there's so many factors and people are so different. So I just don't want this to come across like, oh, she knows it all or she wants to share. I don't know. I think a lot of it should be common sense, right? Like, and I think like, can't most of us tell when someone is a good and decent person, you know, once they meet that person and like... I don't know, move on. If someone's not interested in you, clearly move on. Yeah. But like, that's even hard to say too, because people are complicated and, and, and there's things wrong with all of us, right? Absolutely, so yeah. a lot of us want things that we don't um, need and like people that don't like us back. You sure. know, know what I mean? Like, yeah. and are drawn to people who treat us shitty. Like, I mean, all of that sucks, but you also don't want to circumvent someone from going through something that is supposed to be their little crappy journey in dating. Yeah. Right. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it's it's a it's an interesting uh, world to navigate, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, you can only sort of be true to yourself and also realize that you don't need to logically justify anything when no. you're out there. No, right. I want to go back to this idea of you being very hesitant to give advice. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love it, and I, I think that's a very humble and uh, very grounded perspective, and that and it makes sense, and that's how we should all think. We should all be sort of <laughs> open-minded that way. But I think you have a lot of value to share. Oh, thank you. you you're a speaker. Like, aside from being a comedian, you're also doing talks around town. What I do. What What is that about? What are you talking yeah. about? Who are you talking to? Sure. I'll tell you that. And I will say that, yeah, even when I give any like keynotes or I'm asked to speak in front of a group, Mm -hmm. I really present it in terms of being from my experience because people are welcome to take it as advice if they want. Mm -hmm. But and I do want to clarify that, again, the the main reason I just don't want to just go around giving advice is because like things that I've done are not necessarily what other people should do. Mm -hmm. And people have completely different value systems and there are different places in their life. And um, I don't know. I think it's just like, again, I don't like people telling me what to do so I don't want to to come across like that so I'll share my story I'll share my perspectives no like when I'm talking like I share my my story and my perspectives and I think they're you know interesting and valuable and that's why people pay me to give them I guess Um, so I I enjoy that and I think you know when I when I get to do that I if I help people that's great Uh, if I entertain people that's better like I think I think that's more along my my objectives like my 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 vision for my comedy etc is to entertain mm-hmm. it's not to be like i know more than you or like this is how great i am you know what i mean so um but but that's, that's why. but that's how it should be even as the even when you're taking in pers- different perspectives or different pieces of advice mm-hmm. like you shouldn't live your life by one book or by one person's mm-hmm. ted talk mm-hmm. you should take it <laughs> all in and sort of see what resonates with you mm-hmm. or maybe what puts you in someone else's shoes and yeah. thinks and allows you to think differently yeah. about something. People should be constantly synthesizing. Yeah. Right? So I've, I feel like you've, you've prefaced a lot of warnings with this, but <laughs> I, I am under no impression that you nor I nor any one person has all the answers. Right. right. But I am curious about mm. your perspective. Sure. So, so what do you talk about in <clears throat> these in keynotes? Let's see. I've done a few talks about uh, women, women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I used to do some more on the topic of work-life, ma- work-life balance because okay. I've always done a lot, like even before I had a kid. I now 
do eliminate that term work-life balance from my vocabulary. Why? Is it because, bad? well, okay, one, I think it's overdone. Like, I think people have been using it and companies have been using it since, like, the 90s. <laughs> sure. I also, um, I don't care about balance. The word balance implies that the goal is, like, being on top of everything and mm. having a sense of... Um, mastery or peace or, or, or what, what, whatever, right? Or things are in the right places to the right proportions. I don't care about balance. I don't care about um, being in control. I want to have an interesting, fun, fulfilling, uh, happy, and fun life, mm-hmm. all right? So I'm, I take on a lot of things. I do a lot more than I probably should. <laughs> Um, and I'm not balanced. I over-caffeinate a ton. I don't sleep enough. Um, but I enjoy my life so much. None of it's balanced, right? right? Um, but that's totally not my objective. Sometimes hmm. I'm on the road like a ton. Like the next three weeks I'm in, like tomorrow I'm going to Seattle. Next weekend I'm in Montreal. We're in California for a week after that for wow. shows. It's not balanced. I, yeah. don't, I don't have to have a regular sleep schedule. I mean, I know it's good for you, but I, I don't. <laughs> I don't have to be... Um, well rested all the time. I don't have to, you know, always um, attend, you know, to my kid or to my family in the same way all the time. So mm-hmm. I don't believe in that anymore. I'm more driven by what I really want, which is, uh, you know, I want to have an interesting life. I want to be happy. I want to fulfill my goals and passions. And mm. I just try to do that the best I can without things falling apart. Yeah, I think that, that that's it for me. I just don't want things to fall apart. <laughs> I I love that. I've never heard that perspective of we should not think about keeping things in balance because yeah. but you hear keeping things in balance. Well, a lot of people a like lot. a lot of people have a stronger need for um, control and a lot mm. of people are less um, comfortable with risk. Right. Right. And I appreciate that. And I totally respect that, too. I just don't mind it. Yeah. Mm. People also function differently. There's some people who just don't need a lot of sleep. Uh-huh. Yeah, right? exactly. Like I sleep enough. Like I and the, the other thing is like not to pick on that one point, no, no, but no, no, it no. is as yeah, an totally. example. What yeah. I mean is like I don't love sleep. I don't love to sleep in. I get mm. up at six a.m. I'll get in a good seven hours because I know that less than six or seven, I'll mess myself up for the next day anyways. Right? Sure. Like I can't speak properly. My you know I jumble my words. I can't think properly. Like that's not good either. Yeah. Um. But I don't need an excessive amount of sleep. I don't need an excessive amount of um pampering or or, you know, any one thing, really. I don't need my days to look the same. I don't need to be in the same city for an extended period of time. That's just... So we've blown out this Mm -hmm. work-life balance myth. Are you you breaking any other myths when you're giving (laughs) these keynotes? The other thing I want to go back to that term work-life balance, as if work and, like, what's work and what's life? I don't really make a Mm. distinction between work and life. You work... If you work a normal job, like a full-time job, you're basically working half of your waking hours, Yeah. right? So for me, why wouldn't you... Why wouldn't I want work to be something I love and I'm mm-hmm. passionate about and all of that stuff? So if it is, and for me it is, then it's part of my life anyways. So yeah. I don't do that division. So that would actually negate the whole need for the balance of those things if I'm sort sure. of um, jumbling them up together anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love that you brought up this idea that work-life balance has been talked about since the 90s. But if anything, or we've before. been... Or maybe even before, I don't even know. but certainly for a long time. Yeah. But if anything, we've been working more. <laughs> sure, we take we take work home with us, mm-hmm. especially now with our phones and laptops and all that stuff. So totally. we have this concept, but it's 
hasn't really been put to use or it hasn't been achieved in a in a way mm-hmm. right especially on the work end quote unquote yeah yeah so yeah mm-hmm. um speaking of work mm-hmm. you're also in some writers rooms oh, recently i was in a one week stint okay. with the kim's convenience writers room which was like one of the best things in my life i yeah. have to say it was a wonderful opportunity love the show i have um in the last year uh become quite uh uh, intent on writing more and more for TV and movies. Cool. So I do that as well. I'm often found in a coffee shop with my laptop around town writing a script or coming up with a spec idea. First of all, talk about yeah. cliches. What's like that? you've been ripping on a uh, lot of cliches, yeah, yeah. but that cliche of oh. in a coffee yeah, yeah, yeah. shop, right? Working on my screenplay. Uh, that is cliche, isn't it? I don't know where else to write. Um, no, that's I li- fair. <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, um, I I love writing. I have to say. I mean, like, and it's one of the reasons I love stand up too. Mm-hmm. Right. One of my favorite parts about stand up is writing the material. Sure. And crafting the actual joke. So I actually also love doing that in um, script slash screenplay format. I don't know where it's going to go, um, but I I loved having this opportunity with Kim's. They were all wonderful, mm-hmm. and I do have to put a plug in for season four, which the that giant t- uh, you know big production writers. T- like all that whole team and and the cast have been working on so like I you know very small part in fact they did me a favor by just letting me you know join them for a week but man it's a credit it was though right well I guess it's I, a credit now well I I have been blessed with it so That's I'm very really cool. happy about that and yeah I'm constantly looking for new opportunities to do you know things like that and expand my um my 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 footprint of stand-up comedy in North America and beyond. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to create, you, you know, create and look for more opportunities. Sure. Growth, all of that. Also, shout out to Andrea Bang and Diana Bang. Right? Yeah. Well, they're great. They're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, Andrea's on the show, right? Did yeah, I, yeah, okay, yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure. I was like, did I get the wrong yeah, person? Yeah. Okay, no, no, no good. <laughs> oh, I just wasn't sure where that came from, but I yeah. get it. Uh, yes, Andrea's great. I, I know her. I know her sister also, who mm-hmm. is a wonderful actress and um, is here in Vancouver as well. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Do you find that when you're writing or, or in that process, it sounds like the overlap is somewhat seamless because you just said that you enjoy, you know, the joke writing as well. So from stand-up to... To writing, is it hmm. pretty transferable those skills, or yeah. is it like learning a new craft? Well, I think it's hard to say generally, like because some comics are more writers than others are. Like others, mm-hmm. they are more performers, or they are more um, impromptu on stage than sure. you know crafting things beforehand. I, I'm more I'm more on, on the writer side. Uh, very dull to look at. No, I'm just kidding. But I, no. I'm not a physical comic or anything like that. Script writing is as act. There's such a it's so different. It is different. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely helps to be a comedian and know how to write like dialogue sure. and funny stuff. But yeah, there's like, you know, methodology, there's structure, a completely different world out there. So I think, you know, the fact that I love to write is great and that's a transferable skill. But yeah, it's a big learning curve. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. And that's part of why I like it, too, because <laughs> then I get to learn about it. Yeah. Cool. Well, before I let you go, I'm going to let you Mm -hmm. uh, plug your tour dates, your comedy album, Outside Voice. Where can people follow you? Tell us all the things. Okay. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm at uh, Julie Kim Comedy. Also, my YouTube channel. Uh, you'll find me, Julie Kim Comedy. I should post more videos, and I will post more videos. Uh, I'm going to be traveling a bunch in the next few weeks again to Seattle and Montreal, and uh, I'm going around San Francisco and the Bay Area for a week too in the beginning of June. Cool. So I'll be headlining a show in uh, Sacramento and uh, Mill Valley. And I'll be doing some showcases, uh, one at Cobbs in San Francisco. I'm super excited about. And I'll just do a quick spot um, in San Jose. We'll go to wine country during the days, you oh. know, all that kind of stuff. So it'll be really nice. Very nice. Um, in Vancouver, um, I think I'm doing a couple sets at Yuck Yucks next week because we're taping a new album for Just for Laughs Northwest. Okay. Yeah, the best of the West. What's, so, what's, the, what's the date on that? Uh, next Tuesday and Wednesday. This will come out on the Wednesday. <laughs> Are we going to edit that out then? No. Oh, you can't. Oh, okay. I haven't haven't got my contract yet for it, so I don't know if it's like a thousand percent for sure. Okay. You don't edit anything? I don't edit anything. We're keeping that in. All right. All right. Yeah, that's how we do it here. So possibly these showcases. So possibly you missed a show. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, a lot more to come. Like, I I have my U.S. work papers now. Oh, awesome. And... uh, Congrats. Thank you That's so much. That's a process. Much. It's a process. And yeah. it's um, it's it's also, you know, a big deal in terms of opening doors. Like, I think um, I can't just rely on my local scene, right? Like, sure. I got to get out there. So I'm doing more shows in Seattle, uh, California, and more. Um, so, I'm, you know, to be booked. But I, I plan to travel a lot in the next year and um, get out there and get better, you know? Cool. Yeah. Well, Julie Kim, I have to say, you were more than worth the wait. It's been months in the making. Oh, you're so kind. And it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. It was a pleasure for me also. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't know, now you know she is a force to be reckoned with. She is Julie Kim. And I'm Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>